Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And, and you're, you're about, about to, to get, get jumped. jumped. Welcome to episode 46 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Fully Cooly. Yeah, it means sex. That's what it means. That. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Okay, so uh, usually we're going to make a joke here, but like, this is what it means... And people are going to debate this online. And don't get sucked into the Fooly Cooly online. The Fooly Cooly in the manga means something. And the Fooly Cooly in the show means something else. Don't be fooled, everybody. Don't be Fooly Cooly. Welcome, everyone. (laughs) God, it's not Cowboy Bebop this week, is it? Oh man, I'm so fucking pumped that it's fully coolie right now. Look, I love Cowboy Bebop, but like I've I watched I watched these episodes yesterday and then I watched them again today, and there is so much shit that you miss on first view that like watching it a second time you're like, Oh, I see what they did there. <laughs> yeah, for me I have watched Fully Coolie all the way through once and it was I don't know, uh eight years ago or so sometime during college and uh it was like i it's such a short series that it's easy to push through but for me i was so confused the whole time and then Mm. like i've read about it since then and like one thing so if you're not an anime person you probably haven't heard about this like if you're one of our listeners and you don't know a lot of anime if if you're like new to anime, you might not have heard of Fully Coolie, but if you've been around anime for a little while or grown up watching it like we did, um, you are probably aware of this show, at least in name, if not having yeah. seen it once or several times. Um, it's so this basically definitely... considered to be like a legend uh, among yeah. animes. Which is, it's really appropriate that it's taking over the Cowboy Bebop slot. Not that we're going to have to fill this slot with legends, uh, because Fully Cooly is really short. It's only six episodes, and we're covering mm-hmm. um, three of them today. So we're going to be done with it in, you know, four weeks from now when we do our second Fully Cooly episode. That's going to be our yeah. last Fully Cooly episode. So, yeah, and let's just slip in another really short show like Evangelion or something, you know? Oh, God. That's <laughs> another. So for me, so I this is the first time I've rewatched it. I've seen one or two of the first episodes a few times on uh, Adult Swim before I finally sat down to watch the whole thing. Um, but I never paid it too much attention, and I always found it really confusing. And then when I watched it all the way through, I found it really confusing. And then this time, I found it really confusing. But this time I also am coming in like preloaded with the the knowledge that this is like sort of a metaphor. Like it's not as much of a story as it is like a metaphor. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, it it is confusing in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also really lightning fast. And yes, that's when talking about the show. Yeah, people when talking about this show, um, compare it to uh, uh, if if you were if you were to experience uh, like uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's where you're shown a lot of images that have hidden meanings underneath them very fast. Subliminal it's re- messaging or like yeah, brainwashing or something. Yeah. So it's if you've ever seen like the show Chuck, it's like when he has those flashes on there. Oh yeah. Um, one, 
one of the things that the the creator of the manga and the creator of the anime tried to do is to force a lot of information very very quickly inside of the show and have most of the show told as um as either metaphor or as complete subtext and there are so many scenes inside of the show where somebody will say one line and do something completely different and that that scene will have a completely different meaning if you're paying attention to different things yeah and it's um so the the metaphor here that we're talking about is growing up and mm-hmm. specifically sexual awakening and oh, yeah. that's what sometimes stands for yeah, I mean, uh, and, and I am not actually familiar with the controversy that you referenced in the opening of, as like fully coolly manga versus fully coolly anime. But in the anime episodes, oh, yeah. specifically in the first episode, uh, there is a completely non-ambiguous usage of fully coolly. Like it's yep. not it's not unclear at all. And then characters use it as metaphor. Um, or illusion or whatever throughout the series. And it always has this like sexual tint to it, but it is used very explicitly in the place of the word sex or in the place of the word, like, you know, if they were saying like blowjobs or, or whatever, like describing some sort yeah. of specific sexual act, like the character so, that's saying it says fully coolly instead or says fully or coolly. Yeah. So the debate is, it doesn't mean sex or does it mean masturbation? That's the big thing. That's really two sides so, like, of the same what coin. Is... I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but in, it's, it's... I will say in the in the anime in the section of the anime that I'm referencing, which is the first episode, so we'll get to it. Um, it's it's about sex. I mean, it, he's specifically using it in the context of uh, one character with another character. Yeah, which so you know, we're going to go ahead and be a part of, but that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and get into this before, but right before we get started, the other thing that I wanted to mention um, is that we we said it, we hinted at the very start, but we need to start getting votes in for the next series right after this. Um, if you need to, uh, if you need to write into us, that's great. If you want to email us, that's great. If you are uh, some of my coworkers that listen to the show, come talk to me about it. Um, I'm totally down for watching whatever. Um, one of my coworkers listened to my Mob Psycho 100, and now they want me to do uh, Mob Psycho 100 as like a, a show on the podcast, like um, the live action version. No, I will never okay. ever do that because <laughs> that would be fun, but in a different way. But like right. you know, I would say like Mob Psycho 100, as far as I know, is not like the actual anime version. It's not available on a streaming service, or at least not one of the ones I've mm-hmm. got. So I also please feel free to suggest anything to us, but just know that mm-hmm. votes for things that we have easy access to, like easy legal access to, are going to carry a little bit more weight. That shouldn't dissuade yeah. you from voting for something that we don't have easy access to, but just keep it in mind. Uh, we're most likely going to pick something that we can watch very easily and above board. Yeah, and if you don't want me to be subjected to watching Sailor Moon, which I've also had two votes for, don't don't uh, make wow, me watch wow. Sailor Moon. Wow, wow, wow! Don't don't make me watch Sailor Moon. <laughs> um, speaking of watching things, I don't want to get into too much of a tangent, but goddamn, I've been watching uh, My Hero Academia since we last recorded. Ooh! I watched. Stain is such a good villain. Yeah. So before I started watching, or before last week, I had seen season one like months or even over a year ago. 
And then it was before season two was even out. And now season three is like currently premiering. So I guess it was probably over a year ago. So uh, since then I've watched the entirety of season two, which I, if you don't know me, I'm not much of a binge watcher. Usually one or two episodes in, I'm ready to watch something else. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll watch an entire season over the course of like a year. I'm a slow watcher because I like to have a lot of things going slowly all at once instead of one thing happening in quick succession. Uh, I cannot put My Hero Academia down. And honestly, like, I'm already grieving for, like, getting caught up to where the anime is now. Because I I could see that I'm getting caught up really fast and yeah. I'm gonna be bummed out when they're when I have to stop watching it because it's so yeah that good. shit happened to me with Attack on Titan too yeah that's what another one I am, I'm caught up on I am also currently caught up on Seven Deadly Sins and I'm just like fuck this oh it has I that just, come out with the new season yet because I finished not on season Netflix. one <laughs> and then I'm in the middle of the season two that's like just six episodes of filler and I yeah it's they're hard not to very watch. good yeah. yeah. The new season is fucking awesome, though. Um, it's it's in Japan, and you can watch it on uh, like some streaming services that are not like um, legit. Um, <laughs> so. You might be able to. I don't know if Crunchyroll does like simulcasts or something like that. I'm not with that show, probably not, because I think Netflix has distribution rights. But still, yeah. But you I think know, they have exclusivity rights too on it. This I don't want to get too in the weeds, but this conversation should uh, hopefully serve as inspiration to you guys. I'm not saying like I'm asking you to vote for My Hero Academia or for Seven Deadly Sins or Attack on Titan or whatever, although all of those are good options. But, uh, you know, we haven't covered anything that's currently showing right now. I don't know what we would do if we covered a show that's like, you know, that we could get caught up on if we did get caught up at it. I don't know how we we're covering a show that's going into season two today. You know, that's, that's actually a good point. Fully, fully <laughs> it's when did it come out? I've got the Wikipedia page pulled a up long here. time ago. It was yeah, like it, in the nineties originally premiered in 2000, um, April of 2000 through March of 2001. What the fuck? Why did I take a year to show six episodes? Anyway, <laughs> uh, so it was just like space this shit out. <laughs> yeah. It originally <laughs> premiered almost 20 years ago. And yeah, uh, yeah the season, second season just premiered last week. Uh, it'll be, yep. what, eight days ago as of the day that we released this episode. So, yep. And yeah, we, we should be able to, we should be able to do all of season one and season two of this if it's released on a normal schedule, too. Yeah. The we'll second have to... season is only like six episodes. Yeah, once we, uh, yeah, and there's also a third season, and weirdly, so the third season's supposed to premiere in September of this year, I believe. Yeah, and, I think so. Uh, they actually premiered the first episode of the third season already on April Fool's Day on Toonami in America. <laughs> so, you know, That's whatever. Uh, so anyways, yeah, we, uh, so... Get your votes in. If you'd like us to cover Fully Cooly Season 2, vote for that. If you would rather us cover something else, vote for something else. Um, We'll talk off the air about whether or not we want to continue with Season 2 after we finish Season 1. But uh, for now, we got to get it started. So, you, are you ready to start, or do you have anything else to say? Yeah, let's let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, so, usually on previously on, we talk about the episodes that happened before this. Um, but I'm just going to talk really briefly about the manga um, and uh, what happened with the manga series and why it's so influential. Um, uh, 
a lot of the artists that you will see nowadays that have done um, sort of subversive anime, uh, we've obviously done the entire season of One Punch Man, um, Mob Psycho 100, um, uh, Paranoia Agent, are all influenced by this same artist that did Fully Ghoulie. Um, the manga is in incredibly, in, incredibly, um, I don't know, referenced. It wouldn't be a great word for it. It's influential, but it, not, not in the way that it's just like people are copying it. It's more so that people uh, were not allowed to like break the boundaries before this came out. Think about it. Think about this manga as like the Deadpool of anime. Or, like, the Deadpool of manga. You're talking about Deadpool, the R-rated action comedy film. I'm talking about Deadpool, the the comic book uh, character from Marvel, who was breaking, like, the fourth wall. And so, fully coolly. And if you read the manga, you'll really see it. The movie, you know, I mean, Deadpool took a little while in the comics to, like, warm up to what he was. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, because like yeah, his but, first appearance is like a throwaway villain in New Mutants. Yeah, but like the thing that's so interesting about this is that it, it it was doing something that wasn't being done before, which was acknowledging the reader, and it's it's one of those things uh, that also doesn't happen in anime a lot, which is that they they take a subject that is not linear and they explain it in a I don't know if I would call it like an absurdist way, but it's pretty close. It's yeah, uh, I, it definitely made me think about. So I have a little bit of a hard time getting fully invested in this series because it's so crazy, and it's mm-hmm. so like it's leaning hard into metaphor. So like sometimes logic just flies out the window with no prior warning. And it, you know, it becomes absurd. And some of that is just them leaning into absurd techniques, like the manga sequence we'll talk about. But, like, some of it is just absurd for the sake of absurdity and, you know, for the sake of the metaphor. And I have a hard time with those things. Like, I don't like absurdist plays because I want more of a storyline. Um, some people love and, it because they enjoy the imagery and the metaphor of that. And I, I'm just not. And one of those if people. you want to see, if you wanted to see a very, very good reference um, to exactly what this anime is doing and something that was inspired, um, uh, at least partly, I know, um, I know some of the writers have talked about this. If you watch the show Big Mouth that's on Netflix, mm. um, it's partially inspired by Fully Cooley. Really? Oh yeah. I've uh, seen the, parts of it, like, while my previous roommate was watching it, but I never, like, actually the, sat down and paid attention. Uh, oh, yeah, you know the the puberty monster? He's just the fucking girl on the bike. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I gotta say, we have been more on topic so far in this episode than we have ever been. So, <laughs> all it took was 46. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and jump in with episode one, Fooly Cooly, named Fooly Cooly. Um, so we have a main character that we're going to meet very, very fast. Um, his his name is Nota, um, but everybody goes him Takun. Um, he's doing homework with Mamimi, uh, who's... She's so weird. She's a weird girl. (laughs) So, uh, like, again, Um, everything in this is, like, a metaphor for, like, sex and sexual awakening. And so they have mm -hmm. this setup from the start where there's this 
girl who's sort of out of it and sort of sexual towards Nauta, and it's particularly awkward because she's five years older than he is. Yeah, uh, he's and 12. she. We find out later that she is she was the girlfriend of his older brother who moved to America. Yeah, so there's some weird thing of like her hanging on to her his older brother through him or or something. It's it's weird. Also, I I want to mention this is a little off topic, but uh Fully Cooley is stylized as F L C L, so you might have seen it like that. If you have seen it, you didn't know what that was. That's Fully Cooley. If you never looked up the show and you want to find it, find it by searching for F L C L. Um, you don't have to worry how to spell fully coolly because it's it's stylized. So F L C L is is pronounced fully coolly. That's the name of the show. That's how you can find it. Yeah, and if you're looking for it, uh, if you're looking for it, and you want to go through a streaming service, you can go through um, Hulu. And if you would really like to watch it for free, you can also go through YouTube uh, <laughs> because oh, people have YouTube? uploaded it so many times. Oh, yeah. Anyways, that's um, like free, so, but less. Uh, uh, you know, above board. Yeah, so Mamimi is swinging around a baseball bat, and this is going to be our first metaphor right in your face at the very start. She's swinging a baseball bat, and one of the things that uh, uh, Takun asked, asked her is, like, why are you swinging around that baseball bat? And she's like, I don't know. Why do you carry yours all around all the time and don't swing it? Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> and, and also, by the way, Spencer, immediate. I don't know if you can say things like in your face uh, during the entire coverage of Fully Fully. So, uh, Mamimi <laughs> wonders why Takun doesn't play, uh, baseball and what he's doing. They're like hanging out under a bridge and you guys are pretty uptight for hanging out under a bridge. So, mm-hmm. uh, Nauta is doing his homework and he's doing it here because it's not cool to do it at home or something. It's a little weird. Yeah, that's what and- he says. Yeah, so then Mamimi immediately, like, gets sexual with him by, like, pushing and rubbing her body against him, and she bites his earlobe, and later on we're going to discover that she gave him a hickey. Yeah, and she's she talks about it, like, uh, if she doesn't do it, she'll overflow. And oh, yeah. one of the things that's that's influenced, in, or not influenced, but one of the things that's mentioned inside of this moment, and you can really, really tell in this moment, is that... Takun is at that age where he doesn't really understand sexuality really at all. And yeah. he is, he's it's seeing virginal. her as like, an, so this... yeah, it's, it's like, she's, she's like this alien substance that's been added to like his life. And he yeah. has this weird connection to her, but he doesn't understand it. Um, And he, you'll, you'll see it throughout the episodes that he'll just like, he'll have moments where he'll like run to her and like go to find her instinctually and he'll get there and then he'll act like, ah, oh, I didn't even want to see you. Why did I come here? Yeah. Um, there's also an interesting contradiction in this scene because she does say, he's like, why are you doing this? And she says, if I don't do it, I'll overflow. And he goes, well, what would happen if you overflow? And she goes, probably something amazing. And it's, it's this really interesting contradiction because like she's, She's doing something ostensibly and nominally to prevent herself from overflowing while admitting that overflowing would be great. It's it's weird. And it also it kind of plays out. Japanese people have a a generally much more conservative, reserved and repressed view of sexuality than Americans do, which is saying a lot because Americans are pretty fucked up about sex. But uh 
this is this is fairly in line with an American experience too. That sort of contradiction between you know wanting sexual release or sexual experiences, but feeling like it it might be bad, so like blowing off steam in some other way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, Nauta is he starts talking about how there's nothing remarkable inside of this town, um, and we get our first shot of the factory. Um, it's a big, it's a big uh, kind of like iron shaped building that pours out white smoke from it every single day. Um, it's going to be sort of important later on. It I also the is, is your here. what for the iron? Yeah, why is it shaped like an iron that pours white steam over everything? It's poor. It blows off steam when people get too up, like too frustrated about things. Okay. What do you yeah, like? What that. do you think is happening when robots are coming out of his head? We'll get to that in a second, you guys. But I like, <laughs> a, I'm pretty sure I know what's happening then. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, um, so um, uh, like we we're going back home and we we find out um that before they're going home, Mamimi has given Nauta a hickey on his neck and she's messing with him by getting a soda and it's one of the sour ones and she knows that he doesn't like it, but she gets what she wants and he doesn't. Yeah, he actually, he tells her that he doesn't like sour soda like as she's buying it. I I don't remember Mm -hmm. if he tells it as she's already selected it or right before, but like... Yeah, she knows, and he, unless she's not paying attention to him, which I I would say it's a little unclear whether she's listening to him, because she sort of has this like out of it persona. But mm-hmm. regardless, he has vocalized like this is not my jam, and she gives it to him anyway. And mm-hmm. he's like, "I told you, I don't like this," and he throws it, and she kind of starts to walk away, and he it, it seems like he's going to confess something to her. And he mentions his brother in America, and then they get cut off. And then he's hit by literally a puberty Vespa. So what happens is Haruka um, slams a Vespa into into Takon, and he, like, goes flying over the edge. And then, like, like, she runs up to him, and she's like, oh, God, he's dead! (laughs) Yeah, like, so Haruko, she's, Mamimi and Haruko actually look a little similar, which threw, threw me off in one scene in a later episode when I couldn't, it was like far away and I couldn't tell who it was. But uh, mm. they both are uh, teenage looking girls with pink hair. Um, Haruko's hair is spikier and it looks a little messier and more disheveled. Um, she also almost always has an electric guitar with her and she rides a bright yellow Vespa, which is maybe the single most distinctive visual from the show. I would say Mm -hmm. that, I don't know, the red robot or the horn, but I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure it's the Vespa. Yeah. So she thinks that she has killed um, Naota, so she gives him mouth to mouth. And um, then there's like a weird cutaway scene where like the characters are sitting on a bus and talking as though they are actors who shot a scene <laughs> and they're talking about how difficult this scene was to do. And then they're Nauta... like, it was done with camera tricks. And he was like, I thought you did that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just a, it's just a cutaway joke. And then we're back into it. <laughs> um, so um, uh, to, you keep on calling him by his actual name. I, I'm just so used to calling him by like his, his, 
his play name that they call him. Well, you do the one and I'll do the other. I uh, yeah, I I should, I wrote Nauta in my notes even though they almost exclusively refer to him as Takun because yeah. I I don't know. I guess when I started writing the notes, I was like, well, his name is Nauta and his nickname is Takun, but then like is it because you, know, you wanted to always distinguish him from the cat that we'll meet later on that's also named Takun? <laughs> no, I didn't, because I didn't remember that that happens. But uh, it's just a, it was the choice that I made at the beginning. And then as the show went on, that was just what I thought of him as. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was kind of too late to change it at that point. But it does, yeah, that's a that's a fair point. It actually clears up some confusion later on. Yeah, for real. So, um, Takun is revived by Haruka, who gives him mouth-to-mouth, and it's also revealed that while giving him mouth-to-mouth, she also put her tongue in his mouth at the same time. So well, I, I don't know she, if they, they explicitly say it, but he has a weird taste in his mouth, and Mamimi asks him if she t- if she put a tongue in. Uh, he doesn't answer her, but uh, Haruka's <laughs> like, uh, she says something about like how it didn't work, and she smacks him like full-on in the head with her guitar, like right yep. in the middle of his forehead. And then he's basically like knocked into a daze. And he has this big red spot on his forehead where she hit him. And she sort of like shakes him and she's like, why isn't it coming out? And then I don't remember why exactly, but she, she flees. And, uh, and then, um, now kind of comes to, and he's like, ah, she's such a stupid adult who just can't grow up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, the next thing that's going to happen is that Nauta is going to return home, um, and find out that, uh, Haruka has come home as well to his no, that's house. Later. Wait, what? No, it's not. Yeah. At first he goes home by himself and he has grown a horn and right where he was hit in the middle of his forehead, there's a horn like protruding out of his head. And it's like, it's weird, it's like a big square horn that ends in a blunt uh, end, I guess. And uh, so he discovers that he can push it back in, but once he stops applying pressure, it pops back out. So he puts a little bandage on his forehead to hold it in place. I forgot Uh, this happened in between. Yeah, so then he goes into class, and his classmates are talking about this rumor of somebody called the Vespa Woman. And the legend is that she will... if. If you see her and she stings you, um, the mark of the devil will appear if you've done something wrong. And then his classmates deduce that he has covered up the mark of the devil and that he must have met her and gotten stunned by her, which is actually pretty prescient of them. Yep. Um, And then he's going to go to the hospital to see what happened with his horn. While in the hospital, he's getting his head x-rayed and uh, they or is going to get his head x-rayed, but uh, the doctor is not actually the doctor. It is going to be Haruka uh, dressed up like a nurse and telling him that he has something named FLCL. Which is, again, pronounced fully coolly, and she explains that it's a a rare disease that causes adolescents' skin to harden, which, uh, (laughs) you know, you don't have to search very far for what the metaphor is there. So... Uh, now it's a, he goes home, he, he calls or gets a call from Mamimi and kind of tells her off a little bit. And then that leads to him thinking about his brother who lives in America. And I don't know if it's here or a little bit later, but we're going to discover that his brother moved to America for baseball. Um, he's presumably in the major leagues or minor leagues of baseball. And, um, and then we're going to go into one of the most 
classic and probably well-known sequences of the show, which is the manga sequence, of which I believe there are two. Yeah, so he slides open the door as he comes downstairs for dinner. As he slides open the door, you see, you see, you hear him take a deep breath in, and then it cuts to him seeing Naruta, um, him seeing Haruka, who has followed him home, and suddenly they're in a black and white manga panel. And they're going all around this, and this is the fully coolie scene. People talk about this scene, and I've, I've seen articles written about this scene and how this was like, revolutionary in anime um, yeah it was also but, apparently the most expensive sequence in the show and they do two of them i think each one lasts like one to two minutes and mm-hmm. it it's crazy to think how, how expensive this is because like it's the panels they don't move i mean there is movement in it but it's not the smooth movement of the the rest of the show it's not colored it's all black and white um, but when you look at it, it's, it look, you know, if you think about it and you watch the sequence and you go, okay, compared to the rest of the show, which is a really high quality, beautiful animation, this is the most expensive sequence. If you watch it with that understanding, you can kind of see why, because there's a, a lot of movement, despite the characters in the panels, not always moving and the camera's zooming around and it's. It is, uh, it's technically really fascinating how it's done. Yeah. It's, it's not done cheaply either. It's like it, it, you, you have all of these different moments where it really feels like your eye is moving from one panel of manga to the other. It doesn't feel reused. You don't have a lot of things inside of the show that are just like, oh, didn't they use this background before? No, this show is like full on full, um, you know full investment in making good ass anime at every moment it's six episodes so they put the money into it um oh yeah and the music we haven't talked about the music yet but there is literally music underscoring every moment of everything inside of the show unless it's some sort of like sound effect that gives you another ambiance to the show it's and it's also fantastic music yeah, and it's um, the band that does the music. It's actually a single band, um, at least for the first six episodes, and they're called The Pillows. So if you want to look up the music, um, you can look them up. I know that some of their stuff's on YouTube. Um, yeah, the the end credits sequence is a great song. It's very iconic, um, and that's a song of theirs. So check them out if you're curious about the music. Um, that is the band that's in charge of it. Um now, this is pretty rare. Mostly anime will not do this, but basically they like, um, I believe they commissioned this band to do the music. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, it, I don't know. The the comparison I'm thinking of is Kendrick Lamar doing Black Panther soundtrack, which is similar but different because he got other artists to do yeah. songs the for, closest- the sh- for the movie. Yeah, the closest I could think about instead of anime terms is actually Cowboy Bebop. So Cowboy Bebop has Yoko Kano in the seatbelts, who does tons and tons of the music inside of the show. Yeah. Um, so, like, that's the closest that I can think of. Um, and better, I know that they commissioned some artists to do stuff for Samurai Champloo as well. A better English comparison might be Daft Punk doing the soundtrack for Tron. Yeah. Um, although in that it's all instrumental and in, in this, it's some of it's instrumental and some of it's, um, lyrical. Mm -hmm. So, 
anyway, that's a little bit of a, a dalliance, but um, this sequence is also, again, the sequence where it becomes unambiguous that Felicoli, at least in the show, means sex, because uh, in this sequence, we Haruko reveals that um, Naota has been seeing Mamimi, um, and his dad and his um, grandfather are both um, shocked by this and kind of kind of dismayed or scandalized a little bit because Mamimi is 17, um, Naota is 12, and um, she also is his ex. This is the scene where we discover that, uh, not Naota's ex, this is the scene where we discover that Mamimi was dating Naota's older brother before he moved away to the States. Um, mm-hmm. we're, and now they, he's got an American girlfriend. Yeah, which we'll we'll see evidence of in a in a little bit later in this episode. But um, his father starts freaking out about him doing stuff with Mamimi, and it, it's it's euphemistic a little bit, but it's fairly clear that he's asking if they are fooling around or if they're having sex. And um, every time he every time this sentence would include, you know, are you doing it? Are you you know, does she give you blowjobs? Are you guys fucking or any of those like words or phrases? All of the sexual phrases are replaced by footy or kuri or folikuli. It's yep. really, it's really super clear. And I missed this the first time I watched it. I think the scene was just so fast and so frenetic that it was, it flew over my head and I didn't catch those lines. But this time I was like, this is not even ambiguous at all like this is he is no. asking if he's having sex with this girl but using the word fully and coolly instead of saying having sex it's yeah. not they, ambiguous they also apply um uh, they also imply at some point if he's doing something with haruka and there's a whole thing and then we cut to him taking a bath and uh sort of hating his life at this moment and when he comes out of the bath he is confronted by um uh, his his new roommate Haruka, <laughs> who is just like in his bedroom, um, and talking to him about like where is she gonna sleep, and he's like, "Well, you can't sleep here," and she's like, "Well, I have to," and he's like, "Well, you can't sleep on the top bunk. That's my brother's bunk," and she's like, "Well, then I'm just gonna sleep here," and like lays down next to him, and he's like, "Ah!" and he like gets up out of the bed and goes downstairs. Yeah, which is again such like a pre-sexual prepubescent boy reaction like this girl's annoying me and i don't want to be around her i can't believe that she would want to sleep in the same bed with me whereas like if he had sort of like hit that stage of puberty the scene would most likely revolve him you know laying in bed with her and sort of stressing about what to do about it or running off out of embarrassment and neither of those is the case here yeah. So he, he is confronted by his dad downstairs, um, who is just being the fucking worst. <laughs> yeah, his dad's kind of. I got the impression that his dad was sort of perving out on Haruko being there a little bit. Yeah. Um, so Naota just runs away from home. Um, he runs yeah. into Mamimi on the bridge that we've seen them on before. Um, she's smoking, which is interesting because earlier when they're introduced, he asks her, he says that she smells like smoke, and she was like, well, I wasn't smoking. So I don't know if she was bullshitting with him or if she's taken it up since then. Um, But basically, um, Naota asks Mamimi, like, do you like my brother? 
And she named, she's like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I like him well enough. I like him in the same way that I like these things. And she names just sort of like mildly pleasant things like waking up on a weekend morning when it's been raining. And it's sort of like, you can tell she's like not into it, but she has a thing for him a little bit. And it's, she makes it fairly clear that like she likes him, but she's not crazy about him. And then, um, something happens. Doesn't she like kiss him on the cheek or something? Mm, she starts just moving towards him and then like, uh, like talking about something. God, I can't remember. But it's, it's what, sexual. What, it, it's very yeah. clear watching it. And I guess I just forgot to take a note on this specific thing that it is, but something triggers her and it, it seems like she might have gotten like sexy thoughts based off of what she was saying or doing. And suddenly she's like, you know, doubled over holding her stomach saying that she's going to overflow. Mm -hmm. In this moment, we cut to um, Haruka whose bracelet is going crazy. And then we cut to the, um, the big giant iron that's in the city, the power plant, and it's releasing steam and then we cut back to our first um, iteration of the robot that comes out of Takun's head. And when I say that, some people who haven't seen this show might be thinking, oh, that's a weird thing. What does it look like? Is it like a portal that opens? Nah. The fucking horn in the front of his head just pulls out and keeps on pulling out until it turns into a robot arm and then to yeah. a robot body. And then the robot is pulling out of his head while another robot is trying to hold on to the other end. And like it gets its arm ripped off and they get into a robot fight. <laughs> yeah. And the robot fight's sweet. So the basically the cadence of the, the show, at least from the first three episodes, is... The and you know it's like a it's a, about a twenty minute runtime. I think it might vary a little bit, but basically you get twenty minutes. You get fifteen minutes of it is uh, whatever sort of growing up sexual awakening metaphor they want to talk about today, and then the last five minutes is a giant robot battle and denouement. So uh, the robot battles are always sweet, and um, the robot that comes out of uh, out of Nauta's head is um, the fully formed one is a, a sort of tall, um, lean humanoid robot. It's colored red and its head is um, it's kind of like a, a TV. Um, it's yeah. sort of like if, the, the if you guys read Saga, it's like the robot kingdom. I was just going to fucking say that. Yeah, their, their heads are TVs. Same thing here. God, Saga is so good, you guys. If you like anime, you're going to like Saga. It's a comic Man. book series. It's fantastic. Okay, so be aware. If you really like Saga, it has a uh, it has a deal right now. They're they're in scripting right now, and it's been bought up by uh, it's been it's been bought up to be turned into a movie. Oh, but really? It ha it, yeah, it's. It's been bought up. It hasn't gone into any sort of production yet, but they have a, a script that's being uh, overlooked right now. So uh, everybody, I didn't know that. Fucking fingers. I know that they. I know that the creator specifically said he wanted to make a story that would be basically impossible to translate to film, but it's also mm -hmm. so cinematic, and yes. so I, I'm not surprised. Anyway, it's great. 
it is very anime in that it's just like it's super imaginative and crazy things happen. It's also super adult. It includes lots of nudity and lots of sex, lots of graphic violence. So if you're not into those things, don't check it out. If you can stomach those things, uh, it's fantastic, and I can't recommend it enough. Yeah. Anyways, Anyways so we're going to cut back to a robot fight. Um, the bio, the giant robot uh, arm is fighting against the other uh, robot that has come out of uh, Takun's head. Um, they are in the middle of a fight. Um, the robot out of uh, the humanoid looking robot is kind of winning the fight. Um, and uh, as he's uh, doing all right, he gets hit in the back of the head by um, uh, by Haruka, who showed up with her guitar or bass. I can't remember if it's a guitar or bass. Um, but it's got like a, like a weird spinning back to it, almost like a chainsaw. And she like revs it up and slams it into thing with like incredible force. She hits it with like enough force that it like breaks the back of the robot's head. And then she like, um, no wait, the humanoid robot beats the hand and then she hits it in the back of the head. Right. Yeah, um, and she she actually shows up in each action sequence to participate, but in this mm. one she arrives kind of after the hand robot has already been defeated, yeah. and uh, when she bashes the red robot, it turns into like a gray teal, like discolored look, mm. uh, but it's not destroyed. Um, and there's also a weird moment where Nauta, like as Haruko hits him, Nauta has been like basically attached to the robot, the red robot. And as she bashes it, he has this thought where he's like, she reminds me, like, she looks like my brother for just a moment. And that caught me off guard because it was like, that's, you know, in a show about like a sexual metaphor that I was like, is this trying to suggest that he's gay? Because nothing else in the show, like everything else in the show points to him being straight. There's also like unfortunate incest implications, but I think this is actually the non-sexual part of growing up metaphor where he's really looking up to his brother and sort of like trying to figure out how his identity relates to that. And Mm -hmm. she swings this guitar in a way that reminds me, it reminds him of his baseball playing brother and sort of like Mm -hmm. in this moment of stress, he has this, he has this sort of thought kind of like how your thoughts are super chaotic when you're Mm -hmm. going through puberty. So I don't. I don't actually think it's sexual, but it, it really caught me off guard, and I was like, "What does that mean?" And I thought about it for a while, and you were like, <laughs> "Oh man, we're almost to the end of this episode. We've spent a lot of time on the first episode of the show. Yeah, we're gonna have um, to blitz through these other two. Yeah. So uh, luckily, the other two episodes are pretty straightforward in comparison to this first one. We had to build up a lot and you had to figure out. Um, this yeah. episode ends with uh, the robot living at home, um, Haruka living at home. All these people that are now or this robot and this person that might not be a person is in his house um, and him being really annoyed. But at the end, just being like nothing ever happens inside of the stupid town I live in. And yeah, it's so and he, it's such like an angsty teenager thing to say. Yeah, he also goes to like the bridge to meet Mamimi, who gives him the sour drink again, and he thinks to himself like I told you, I told her, and she knows that I don't like the sour drink, but then he drinks it anyway. And then we cut yeah. to the end credits, which are great. Uh, these yes, are probably astounding. even better than the JoJo Part One end credits, which I fucking love. 
Yeah. Anyways, we're going to go in episode two. It's called Firestarter. Um, Nauta is, um, he's got another <laughs> horn growing out of his head. Um, and this then, time out of the uh, back we, of his head. Yeah. And this time we find out finally, uh, somewhat of what Haruka is, which he's told that she is a galaxy patrol officer. And yeah, which she um, said she was an alien in the last episode, but it, it was mm-hmm. among a couple of other lies. So, you know, it was yeah. unbelievable. We also get an x-ray of the inside of uh, Nauta's head, and it's just an open hole where his brain should be. And she's yeah. just like, look, this is what's wrong. You have a big hole in the top of your head where your brain should be. And then yeah. he's like, at one point, he's like um, riding on the back of the Vespa. And she's like, and he's like, shouldn't I be wearing a helmet? And she's like, no, what are you protecting anyway? You don't have anything in there. <laughs> There's no brain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we discover also that Mamimi has, I guess, found or purchased a cat named that she has named Takun, which, as you'll remember, is the nickname she also calls Nauta. So that's kind of weird. Um, she's also become obsessed with this video game. And from what we can see and from the way it's described, the point of the video game is essentially that there is a city that has become extremely prosperous and you are like the emissary of a god of fiery destruction whose sole purpose is to slowly burn the city down. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is an interesting video game prospect, but she's obsessed with it and she's playing it every time we see her this episode. Yeah. So the god inside of this video game is this uh, this angel that with giant black wings. Um, and we see the robot who is doing errands for, um, for Nauta's family. Um, and he has put on a little halo that's on top of his head and he has little fake wings on his back. And at one point he like jumps off the top of a roof and like floats away because he can also fly because he's a robot. Um, you and know she's how just robots like, can oh, fly. he's the, he's the God. He's, he's the God that I've been worshiping. I must follow him. Meanwhile, yeah. um, Haruka <laughs> has been just riding a Vespa towards the power plant and just slams it into the side of a power plant. And so yeah. they're like, they're like, who's your guardian? And so she gives them Takun's like information to come pick her up at this place. And so it's yeah. like two older men, one of them who is no nonsense. And the other one who's a super pervert, uh, trying to look up, uh, Her- Haruka's skirt. Yeah. Uh, the whole time. And she's like, this is my guardian. He, they're like, you're way older than this kid. He's your guardian? She also, they're like, why did you crash in here? And she's like, I just wanted to see what uh, what it was like. And they're like, you know, this is just a like a factory or an office or whatever. And she goes, you know, I don't think it is. There's no entrances or exits. And I just leave <laughs> it there for now. But yeah. uh, so this is also, while they're on, on the way home, that's going to be the sequence where they're riding on the Vespa together and they have the what are you protecting discussion that Spencer was referencing, but mm-hmm. also at one point um, after she says that to him, she accelerates so much that the bike bucks back and now it's not like holding on very well. So he sort of like flips around and uh, like gets put into just, just for a split second, he gets put into like a couple of like sexually compromised positions. The one that I caught was like, he gets flipped around and his, his face like smashes into her crotch and it's just like it, the metaphor is not subtle in this show, you guys. Like it's there. Yeah. 
Anyways, we we are going to arrive back at his house um, where the robot is returned home. And now uh, Mamimi has returned to his house, too, because she's followed this god of fire and destruction um, that she thinks. And uh, now all these people are just at his house and he is super not OK with it. Um, but yeah. a pretty funny thing that happens is that, like. Um, they find out the robot has been doing errands for people and he keeps on doing them wrong. Like he hands, um, a drink, uh, to, um, Haruka and Haruka's like, I wanted the one with pulp. And then he like walks over to the side of the building and he's like, what are you doing? And he like knocks on the door and the grandpa opens and he like looks inside at like the, the like noon magazine that he got. And he's just like, oh, this has the wrong centerfold, you idiot. Yeah. So uh, this is also where the robot gets his name, which is Con- Conti or Canti. I'm not sure. It's C-A-N-T-I. Uh, and uh, Mamimi gives him this name because that's the name of the the god of fire from her video game. So mm-hmm. la- we're going to see Nauta is walking around with some of his classmates. We saw them at the beginning of this episode. Um, it's two other boys and a girl. Um they are all kind of discussing different things. They they come upon this um, burned down house and they're like, oh, there's been a couple of arsons recently. Um, and then they see Mamimi while they're on this bridge and she's like, I, she's like standing in the river and it looks like she's completely wet. And they're just like, this is so embarrassing. She's a high school student. Like she should be more put together than this. Yeah. Um, you also see her face and her face is dirty, almost like it's got soot on it. And her like she's cleaning off her clothes in the river like she's hiding something. Um, this is going to play into the next thing that we find out inside of the show, which is that uh, Mamimi, when she met her um, his brother, um, she met him after the school that they were going to burn down Um and so she has this weird connection with fire. And actually the next time that we're going to see her is when he sees a fire happening in the side of the city and he's lost track of her. And when he finds her, she's formed like the shrine in front of the burned down, um, the burned down school, um, with like, she's got like two lighters attached to her head with like a sweatband and a whole bunch of cigarettes in a circle around like almost like a pentagram, uh, that are all lit. Um, and she's like, uh, she's like, I followed the God here, but I don't think anything's going to happen. I don't think anything's going to happen. It's just like, I, I can't figure this girl out, man. Yeah. She's a really, <laughs> she's very much like a surreal character cause she's so, she's so out of it and then she'll just do things impulsively. So it's hard to nail down her character or in like a, broader more meta sense like what the purpose of her character is because she's a little chaotic in like a really um soft way so Mm. anyway um meanwhile we saw in the first episode very briefly before um before nauta came into his room to find that haruko was there um she was talking to someone and we're also going to get a cutaway here where she's talking to someone in his room alone. And it sounds like she's giving a progress report. Like at one point she's like, oh, we actually turned one of the enemy robots into a household helper. So this is lending more credence to the fact that she might actually be some sort of galaxy police officer. 
So then Mamimi reveals that she's the arsonist. And so another robot comes out of Nauta's head. <laughs> yeah. And this one is actually kind of interesting. It's, it's the thing that's in his head is, um, it's almost like guilt or grief. Um, and it's this big robot that's much more difficult to fight. It's actually beating the crap out of our normal robot, Canty. And then it's, it also, um, Haruka shows up and she's trying to fight it and she cannot. And don't, don't take it, uh, like, too badly that we're not going into super depth into like what these fights are like because just fucking watch them they're all yeah, like they're five quick. minutes long and they're all super sweet um yeah. if we went through a play-by-play it would take forever because they're it's a lot of fast action but it's animated great they're really cool like even if uh, I, w- I would understand if the show's a little bit too out there or a little bit too absurd for you because it kind of is for me too but the fights are excellent. So if you can't watch the show, I would still highly recommend looking up the fights on um, YouTube or something because they're really good. Yeah. And um, <laughs> one of the things that that happens here, Canty, um, spoiler alert, it might just be his manhood. Um, it takes him within himself. He actually eats him. And he, he eats turns Nauta. into this red... He eats Nauta. And Nauta right turns, after Nauta calls out to his brother, which is another... His yes. brother is just the specter hanging over him at all times. No, his the fucking robot is him being a man. That's the whole fucking thing. So like I know, when but the, it's like, you know, his You know, he also turns into a gun, which... You know, a disgraced nuclear physicist <laughs> you know a gun that has two giant balls that appear up out of the back of it yeah well the gun barrel spurts out of canty's crotch it's super phallic uh yeah. anyways we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves so the the robot eats him turns into this uh super powerful version of itself there is a badass moment where he just fucking punches this robot one time and it yeah, flies cool. over the side and then it's it tries to shoot out a hand after him moment. Yeah, he like he turns into a gun and shoots this bullet that shoots out, rips through the side of this robot, and then back into the head of the gun. And then um, you see Haruka fly through the air with her base and slam into the robot, and the robot explodes. Um, yeah. So then, and Canty shits out Nauta. Like, no, no, no. Before that happened, there is a really beautiful moment where okay. he like he looks he looks down at Mamimi. And she looks up at the robot and he like grabs her head and like pats her on the head as oh, if yeah. to like say, I'm here, I'm going to protect you. And then he shits out. <laughs> yeah. Right no, after a... he does that, he sort of like grabs his stomach and you get a, a picture of a toilet paper roll and then an empty toilet paper roll. And then Nauta literally like comes out of the robot's butt in like a swirl colored brown. <laughs> And they're like, what's that smell? Yeah. <laughs> it's gross. <laughs> you got shot out by a robot. Yeah. Anyways, that's the end of episode two. Um, it's It's got some really interesting moments. The last one that's really interesting is um, Mamimi and Nauta standing in the rain, staring at each other, unsure of how to feel about each other. Um, yeah. And then we're going to go to episode three, um, which is called... Uh, Marquise de Carabas. So Can I good. pronounce that better? 
Uh, you absolutely can, but we're not going to. So uh, no, no, you do it then. You do it then. Assuming it's French, it's Marquis de Caraba, but I okay. think it might be You've Spanish or something. You've been anyway. <laughs> I didn't look up what this means, and they don't say it in the show like I kept expecting them to. So whatever. Um, there's this girl, Nani Mori. Um, we met her in the in the last episode. She is the girl classmate the that first we have episode, seen. Actually. Oh yeah. Well, it was in the last one too because they're walking around. No, it was it was at the beginning of the second episode. We, I just didn't write notes about that. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. She's she's a dark haired girl. She is Naoto's classmate. Um, and she when she was introduced previously, it seemed kind of like she was into Naoto, and she seemed a little jealous of Mamimi hanging all over him and sort of con- uh, criticized her a lot. And, um, in that sort of like stereotypical, like, um, competing with another woman criticism kind of way. Um, and so anyway, she's sitting in the back of a car with this woman, they're talking about a divorce. So essentially what we learn is that not, Nani Mori's parents are, are getting a divorce. This woman is, um, the mistress with whom her father is cheating on her, on his wife. Um, and basically she's like, you know, it doesn't matter to me. And the mistress is like, oh, you're so adult. Um, we also learned that she is the lead in the play and we're going to learn pretty quickly that Nauta is her co-star. Yep. And Nauta is not wanting to play her co-star because her co-star is just a cat. Um, a thing that you will notice inside of this episode too, is that, uh, Nauta, instead of having a horns now has cat ears. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and they also, after we discover that he is in the play and that the play involves him playing a cat, we go to a class, and I think this is them sitting in a classroom, but like for like the purposes of preparing for rehearsal or something, because it mm-hmm. seems to be related to the play. But anyway, the professor or the teacher or whatever is talking about like, you know, cats purr when you pet them, and that's the sound that they make when they're young and when they're nursing and cats really just want to be stroked and cuddled. And then the teacher's like, I wonder, do any of you ever feel that way? And it's kind of weird, but also, like, the metaphor. It's so obvious. Yeah. Um, the next thing that's going to happen is that uh, Nauta is riding on the back of... Uh, not Nauta, he's... Um, the Vespa is coming up. God, why can I think of Haruka's name until I like looked at it on my phone? Anyways, Haruka is riding up on a Vespa and she hits Nauta. She hits him so hard that he flies forward towards um Naomori and she like they almost kiss, but instead she just like he just slams his forehead into her. His hat flies off and he reveals that he has cat ears. Yeah, which we actually see a little bit earlier in the episode when he's with Mamimi. Um and Mamimi has dressed up like a cat and is taking selfies with him. And then his hat like gets removed and it turns out he has actual cat ears, which mm-hmm. again, like with that explicit question, you know, info information and then question from the teacher, like having all of this, like humans as cats imagery is really just like heavily lampshading the sexual nature of the show. Yeah. The other thing that happens in uh, right after this is that um, she goes to touch his cat ears. Um, uh, this is going to be uh, Nanamori 
Um, she touches his cat ears while Haruka's like, don't do that. It's not good without any protection to touch those. And she <laughs> yeah. does. And she gets like a stomach ache and then like falls over and starts acting really weird. And then we cut to um, she's come home because she didn't have anywhere else to go. She's come over to uh, Nauta's house and they're like, well, uh, she tries dinner. to go home, but her father is the mayor. And basically some somehow they've discovered that he's having an affair and or that he's getting a divorce so her place is being swarmed with um reporters and she doesn't want to deal with it so she can't go home so that's why she was out when um when Nauta found her and then when they the whole like Vespa crash and cat ears thing happened so he takes her home with him um so that she can have dinner with his family and there's this whole thing about like curry earlier in the episode. Nauta was talking with Haruko about getting curry for dinner, but like he doesn't like spicy food. And, um, and so of course she got like super spicy curry and they can barely eat it. Um, except yeah. Nani Mori who got the mild curry. Um, and she's eating it, but then she gets a stomach ache and, um, she has to run off, uh, to the restroom, but her dad, his Nauta's dad, like, talks to Nauta and he's like, you know, if she needs to stay with us, it's okay. Yeah. Um, so while she's staying with, um, with him, she reveals that, um, she is the lead in the play because she rigged the votes and she also rigged it so that he would be her co-star. And he's like, yeah. why would you do that? And at the same time that she's expressing this like deep thing that she's kept down, she goes and grabs his hand and starts kind yeah. of like pulling it towards her. Um, and it's, it's, it, it's pretty obvious that she has a crush on him, but both of them are too young to really understand like what these feelings are that they have for each other. They just, you know, and there's it's now to doesn't even really understand like what even would be, you know, a crush on a girl. What even does one do with a girl? How but, does babies? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, the, uh, there's also a, a moment of Japanese culture seeping in here, which I always love because Japanese culture is sort of fascinating to me. And um, they what what they're talking about when she reveals that she messed with the votes, she mentions that she was able to get away with it because no one would ever suspect a class president because she's the class president. No one would ever suspect a class president of behavior like that. Which just like it really subtly highlights the sort of um, the honor that's inherent to the Japanese society, um, which you know, being super honorable or whatever can be a little bit of a negative Asian stereotype, but um, it does it does show up in a lot of ways in Japanese society that it just wouldn't and doesn't in American society, and so like essentially what she's what she's alluding to here is the fact that like. In Japan, there's a lot of pride to be had and a lot of personal honor to be had in a position like class president. Like it's something that that you're elected to because you're seen as someone who's responsible. And in the way that like people grow up in Japanese culture, like living up to those expectations is huge. And you'll see yeah. that with some people in American culture, but in Japan, it's it is a cultural like it is a, a blanket cultural identity to be honorable and to like live up 
to expectations for, you know, for your job or your position in a way where like in America, it's really more of like a personality trait that some people have and some people don't. Um, in Japan, yeah. you'll see you know, the bad boy character is the character who doesn't care what people think, which is an American bad boy character trait too, but it's not quite as counter as like literally counter culture as it is in Japan, where it's like the whole culture is about this and everyone is bought into the idea that like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it right. Um, and so that's really on display here where it's like, she got away with it because nobody would ever for a moment, even like there would be no checks and balances to the class president, you know, monitoring the vote on this thing. Even if she turned out to be the one who was voted to be the lead, because she's the class president, so we know we can trust her. As it was yeah. just so interesting to me. So anyway, yeah. back to the show. Yeah. So um, the next thing that's going to happen, uh, it happens in pretty quick succession. We're about to have our next big giant robot fight, and it starts all because there is an argument. Um, she she really wants her parents to come to the play, and uh, now just kind of being a dick about it. He's like, yeah, "Why would I care about the play?" This- she has this whole facade where she doesn't care about anything and she's trying to be really aloof, but she, it breaks every once in a while. And this is one of those moments where it's like, I, he's like, why do you care about this place so much? And she's, she's like, because people are going to come see it. And she, and he's like, nobody is going to come see it. And she goes, my parents are going to come see it together. And yeah, you know, this is where she reveals that like, she's not okay with them getting a divorce. Yeah, and he he's like, it doesn't matter. I don't want to be in the play. I don't want to be a cat. And she's like, well, it's nice of you to say that even though you have cat ears. And she reveals that he has cat ears. He pulls it off in front of a whole bunch of, like, kids that are in the middle of, like, uh, I don't know, leaving after school. Which, and- earlier, she she revealed that there was a mutually assured destruction kind of ultimatum here that she couldn't reveal that he had cat ears because he now knows her secret that she rigged the votes. Yeah. So now that his cat ears are revealed, he immediately reveals that she rigged the votes. Yeah. And as soon as she does, we cut to him and he no longer has cat ears and it cuts to her and she does has cat ears. And then the cat ears turn into giant uh, spider legs and then the like the spider legs turn into this weird one-eyed robot that pulls out of her the top of her head um and starts rampaging around using her legs to slam a forward bit. and stab people. Yeah, and she's attached to it. Like she's sort of like being mentally controlled by it and has she's gone into like a daze or a trance um and has been her body has been overtaken by this robot that she's attached to by her, the skull. And also I didn't notice that he loses his cat ears and I'm not going to go into it here, but Oh my God, I didn't even think about like the possible metaphor of him being like, I don't want to be a cat, but having cat ears, like that's such a like burgeoning sexuality metaphor. Anyway, Mm -hmm. robot battle. Anyways. Okay. So um, the robot battle is happening. There's a lot of stuff that happens in this very, very quick successions. None of it's very like none of it's super, super important. Um, There's a part that I want to talk about because it's funny. Is it just the part where like she's slammed forward and like hit somebody in the face with a crotch and grab somebody with it? No, but that's super sexual. But the part that I want to talk about is um, so Haruko is there and um, and uh, Conti is there. And they, Haruko's like, okay, we got to take this up somewhere else because they're in the middle of a classroom and this fight breaks out. 
So they leave Haruko and Conti and uh, they leave. And then the, the robot Nanimono goes after them followed. I, I think followed by um, Naota or else he was with Conti and Haruko. And then their teacher like comes out of the door after them and is like, no running in the halls. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And then she gets like hit underneath and she's just spinning it in the air while they go and <laughs> yeah. fight on top of the school. Um, yeah. As they're fighting on top of the school, there's a whole thing about like the big robot e- eats some curry at one point and then he gets, it sick, turns into then... a giant flower, which I think is a vagina metaphor. <laughs> Probably. Anyways, uh, but because then the curry curry, falls on it and it looks like sort of sloppy, saucy, falling on the vagina flower. Stop. Just stop. Vagina. Anyways. Anyways. So the the curry makes the robot sick and it poops out. Um. The the I guess it poops out the the girl and yeah, uh, not quite as poop like as when Naoto got pooped out. Yeah. Um. So they uh the he is now free to um, be eaten by his robot self and shoot a laser blast that, or like this same bullet that comes back to him and blow this uh, like big robot monster into bits. Um, not super important, still super sweet to watch if you want to watch it. Um, yeah. And then we cut to the end part where um, uh, the girl at this point is doing the play. And he's well, we like, find out he- that, her parents, she says, my dad um, didn't get arrested and my parents didn't get a divorce. And then, uh, or sorry, it's it's from Nauta's perspective. He's like, her parent, her dad didn't get arrested. Her parents didn't get a divorce. Nina Mori said that she doesn't care, but then she smiled. And I love yeah. that. And there's a great moment at the very end where, like, you can tell all the things that she's faked in one moment where he's like, it's like, oh, she's wearing her glasses. I didn't think she was going to do that for the play. And then she, like, reaches through the glasses, and she's like, they're fake. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Cut to credits. Yeah. And that's all for us today. We went a little bit long, but, uh, you know, it was worth it. Yeah. The show is, is a good uh, super sweet, um, and we are going to go quickly into the credits. Yeah, if you want to vote for things, use the social media stuff that you're about to hear. Come talk to us on them. If you don't want to vote, but you just want to say hi, or if you have questions, or if you have comments, let us know. Uh, we'll mention it on the air if you talk to us, because um, we're we're shameless. So here it goes. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions. With sound editing done by Rashad English of Plain English Productions. He's our level five sound wizard. Our podcast is ad-free, and we want to keep it that way. If you want to keep it that way, too, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon members get exclusive member content and unlock group perks. Follow us on Twitter at BNS Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at Reddit.com slash R slash Get Jumped. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help us chart on iTunes. And remember, new episodes come out every Sunday on your favorite podcast platform. Next week on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. In Naruto, Jiraiya pushes Naruto to his death. What? <laughs>